Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Jacob Badsgaard, founder and CEO of Disruptive Advertising. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast. Jacob, it'd be good to learn a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Well, excited to be here with you, Chris. More about myself and what I do. Where do you want to start? Yeah. So um, what did you kind of love of advertising and marketing start? Where did that come from? You know, I never expected to be in a marketing and advertising career path. My degree was actually in information systems, and I was learning how to code and how to use databases and uh, figure out all the tech stuff behind the scenes, and actually went into an analytics consulting career path where I would implement uh, web analytics and then integrate that with backend systems like CRMs and ERPs. And then once we had those two connected, started building dashboards and finding insights about what was actually working from a marketing standpoint, but purely from a data standpoint, because again, I had no marketing background. And it was when I saw repeatedly that the insights provided through data made the whole marketing side of things a lot more objective and simple and easy to allocate marketing dollars is where I started to see the opportunity. And I was working at the time, it was called Omniture. It was later bought by Adobe. And it's now Adobe Analytics is what I was helping implement and integrate. I saw some of the biggest companies in the world that didn't know how to do this and that were asking for our help to put those pieces together so that their marketing teams could make great decisions. And I thought, well, if they don't know how to do it, the small and medium-sized business are going to be years behind us as well. And so the path that led me to starting Disruptive was actually, I thought I would freelance analytics consulting, started doing it on the side, some of it just for free and pro bono to see if some of the people in my network, if it would actually help a small and medium-sized business succeed. And uh, the first one that I tested all of this with grew from 25 to 350 employees with some just simple insights that we found in their marketing that gave them an edge in their industry. And I thought, whoa, this works for small and medium-sized businesses as well. But what always happened, Chris, is every time I would say, here's the data, here's what you're supposed to do with it. They would say, we don't have the bandwidth or expertise to know how to implement this. And so what I thought would be an analytics consulting agency turned into a marketing and advertising agency because they needed someone that could actually go and implement and execute for them. And so that's how Disruptive was born 10 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been over a decade now since I was freelancing and working out of my basement and hired one of my high school friends as my first employee and uh, getting after it and uh, to where we are today, where we're serving several hundred businesses throughout the country and some internationally as well, and helping them get good data and then execute that within their marketing and advertising strategy as well. So that's kind of the professional background. It's really cool. So yeah, so actually like the sort of sea change with regards to career kind of from the analytics to the marketing, but actually tying it together with those dashboards and taking the analytics that you saw and and almost then implementing it. So what were some of the things that you were seeing from the dashboards and the analytics and things that you still see today that are real key indicators of a business that has an issue with their marketing or things that they can see and then utilize to improve their marketing? Let me give you two examples. One, from an e-commerce perspective, you're actually selling a product. 
And then one for more of a lead generation model, which is you're selling a service or a product that's large enough that you want to have a conversation first, you know? And so I'll start with e-commerce. Most businesses would simply look to a return on ad spend or a return on marketing dollars that they were spending, but they would always look at it from a last click attribution standpoint. And then they would just struggle. They would hit diminishing returns and diminishing volume and say, if I've got to hit this return on my marketing dollars, then they would run into ceilings relatively quickly. And they would just be competing in the exact same way all of the competition was as well. And so there was two things that I would always look for in the data, which is which customers create and provide the highest lifetime value that tend to buy again or tend to buy more, tend to return less. And even if it costs me a little bit more upfront to get that customer and my initial return on marketing dollar is lower, my actual return on those marketing dollars is actually quite a bit higher. And so that's from an e-commerce standpoint, that acquisition cost to lifetime value ratio is far more beneficial than a last touch marketing attribution that just says, I spent this much and how much did I immediately get out of that? Because what that does is it just puts you into the pool that's doing, everyone else is doing it that way. There's diminishing returns, there's limited volume and growth and upside. And that's where I see e-commerce businesses start to pick out, whoa, I can get great customers and sell this intro product that are going to want to keep buying more and more. And I can get a great lifetime value and provide great products to them. And now all of a sudden I can sometimes even afford to lose a little money on acquiring that first purchase. And those are the businesses that learn how to break through those different levels as they grow their e-commerce business. So that's what I would say on the e-com side. Now from a lead generation, and this could be B2B or B2C models, what I see happening is that even though it's 2023, the percentage of companies that still focus their marketing dollars on a cost per lead basis is like over 80% of the businesses that I see still optimize on a cost per lead basis. Now, if you're a B2B business, the lifetime value of a customer is actually quite high. And focusing on a cost per lead model can really be like shooting yourself in the foot to say, oh, I'd rather get a $50 lead than a $100 lead. Where when, <laughs> which again, which is what all the competition is doing. And if you can actually connect your CRM to your marketing data, honestly, it doesn't really matter what the cost per lead is. It matters what the acquisition cost is in ratio to the lifetime value. And that's what I would say. It's like the CAC to LTV ratio, acquisition cost to lifetime value ratio. And when businesses start to connect those dots on the lead gen marketing model, that's all of a sudden where they're like, I don't care if it costs me 10 times for the lead, if my acquisition cost is acceptable for the lifetime value I'm expecting from this customer. And this very similar to the e-commerce model where all of a sudden they're like, whoa, this is where I can produce the best. And because oftentimes it is a more expensive cost per lead, but it ends up being a higher quality lead that leads to higher lifetime value, all of a sudden they're doing something that their competition isn't because they're optimizing on a cost per lead, not on a cost per sale and lifetime value. And so those are the two breakthrough moments that I see for different business models. When they start to leverage data in those two areas, they kill it or at least they understand where to stop the bleeding, which can also be a big win <laughs> as well, and start to develop an edge in their industry from the competition. Yeah, I like that. And I think we were talking just before we started recording about 
brand as well, kind of the dovetail between brand and, and marketing. And I think that's kind of where that can fit in, in terms of obviously, like if you're focusing on that ideal customer, that's got a lot of big lifetime value. So there's going to be an ideal customer there that you're targeting. But it's slightly different. There's a slightly different demographic and psychographics to potentially just the leads, all the leads you're getting in. So there's going to be slightly different avatar in that ideal customer. Why do they have a higher lifetime value? What is it that makes them that type of customer? And if you can actually then increase your customers or leads you get and make them into those lifetime customers with better experiences, better touch points, more engaging kind of branding or brand packaging or messaging, I guess if you increase that lifetime value on that front as well, that's going to help with regards to all of the metrics, including the advertising costs and then the, the return on value as well. Absolutely. Cool. So from that perspective, what is it that businesses need to do and think about when they want to disrupt with their marketing? What are some things they need to think about? How can they capture attention and not do the things that everyone else is doing? So the first thing that we talked about was get the right data so that you don't have to guess what's working and what's not and start looking at the right data points to inform those decisions from an objective standpoint. Now, that actually is and can be a fun way to do marketing, but there's a subjective element to it as well. And you'll understand this even better than I do from a brand standpoint. But a lot of the times where I like to start is I like to talk to a founder or I like to talk to a top sales rep. And I like to ask them the questions around, tell me about those customer experiences where they love what your product or your service and how that's positively impacted them. Because that's what helps me get to like the heart of why the business exists in the first place. I like to dig into that question with people. And the stories that they tell are marketing gold, right? In terms of this is subjectively the customer that just loves our product or service, why they love our product and service, and an experience they had with our product and service that inspires us to continue bringing this product and service to more customers, right? And so there's two things that I like to do with that. Number one is I ask, how does that align with your business goal? If you had a lower ratio of customers having this experience, would you want to grow the business? And a lot of the times the answer is actually, actually, that doesn't sound fun if we can't deliver that experience to our customers. And so that's where I kind of try to make sure are our goals aligned with the value that we ultimately want to deliver to our customers? And if they come at odds with each other, there's no worse job in the world than owning a business you feel like is adding less and less value to your customers or being a marketer that doesn't believe in what you're doing because you don't feel like you're ultimately serving those that you're marketing to. It feels like you're just trying to grow for growth's sake. And that's when I see businesses plateau and start to decline. But now let's assume, hey, no, we want to build our business around delivering this type of experience to our customers. Do we have the right goals that are reasonable to continue doing that where it's a win for the business and a win for our customers? And then I use all that subjective feedback that I just got from that customer can now go and see, does the data back it up? Does the data back it up from what we're seeing on the back end? You say this is the type of customer that loves what you have to offer. And now we can go and look at all the past sales data to say, yep, they do or they don't fit that demographic, fit that profile, fit those psychographics. And then we can use some of that data to say, subjectively, here's what you told me. Objectively, here's what the data is telling us. And now we can merge those two the objective data points and the subjective data points to come up with the best strategy that really focuses our marketing efforts where it's going to make the biggest impact. 
Yeah, that's cool. So I've, I've seen a lot of things where they've talked about market research and how actually, mm-hmm. obviously humans change underneath different conditions and different people will say different things in scenarios. So someone will say to you, you know, did you enjoy this product? And if you're somebody who agrees a lot, you're going to say, yeah, it's brilliant. I really enjoyed it. You're not going to say exactly what you mean. So it's awesome that you can use the data to almost qualify that research with those customers. And do you see that a lot? Do you see discrepancies between what the customers say or the experiences they're talking about and then what the data actually tells you? So yes and no. Again, it depends on the business model, but that's why I love to talk to founders because founders are always selling (laughs) or the top salesperson is always selling as well. And they understand the tipping points that drives a sale or that doesn't drive a sale, the pain point that connects or does not connect. And so I really do value those things. I will tell you where the disconnect usually exists is at the marketer level because they're looking too much at the data without understanding the heart behind why the business exists in the first place. And they can start to create some distant, like some disconnect between those two elements and maybe over rely on the data, but the data only knows what the data knows. It doesn't know what it doesn't know. And so if we were targeting the wrong people the whole time, the whole time we were targeting the wrong people, what insights will we get from the data? Hmm. There will be no value. There'll be no value in that data. <laughs> and so that's why there's the art and the science to this. And you're into brand. Yeah. You understand the art side of that even better than I do. But those are the two elements where sometimes I see that marketer really get disconnected from, I'm only looking at the data, but if I'm optimizing something that was completely missing the mark in the first place, I will not know what I don't know. And I'll keep optimizing something that doesn't work and feel frustrated the whole time about not understanding why. And that's why I think it's always good to revisit what's the data telling us subjectively, what are we experiencing and what is ultimately the heart of that brand that we're trying to move forward. And that's where the two actually start to support each other rather than to feel like they're at odds with each other. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's interesting because it, we were working with a, a company actually, we sort of picked it up and did a bit of a brand audit on them. and. Um, they had a similar situation. So they've been marketing, doing a marketing campaign and their target audience was say X profile, but actually their marketing was all geared up at a completely different profile. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of almost, you know, if a brand is built in your audience's mind, you need to be targeting the right audience. Otherwise it's not going to connect. It's not going to resonate. You're not going to hit with that audience. So in terms of that, in terms of profiling and stuff like that, do you have a way that you do that in terms of the target audience? Do you have segments that you go after? Do you utilize data in that way? To kind of help segment and help to characterize certain customer types and target audiences that way? Yes. And what came up for me first when you asked that question, Chris, is probably a step back before we take a step forward into that. And the business operating system that I've really loved and appreciated with my own company and other companies that I tend to see really nail this down is the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS, where they actually upfront or once a year actually revisit what are the values that matter most to us 10 years from now what are we really hoping to accomplish how do we reverse engineer that into a business and a marketing plan and strategy that really get us to where we want to go in the next one to three years in relation to that 10-year target that we have what are our differentiators in the marketplace who is our ideal client profile and those types of things And so that's the framework that I often lean on for my own businesses that I own or for the clients that I work with is we've kind of got to get these foundational pieces in place first, because otherwise 
Now, taking a step forward into your question, whatever tactics we use, if we're not aligned at that level, what's the big picture that we're working towards and why? And why do we all feel excited about that? And now we're reverse engineering a tactical plan for the next year to really execute against. That's where I see a marketer, a data scientist, a sales leader, they go and dive into the numbers when it's not aligned to who they are as a company. It just doesn't get them anywhere. And it just feels like a lot of wasted time and energy and chasing one's tail, so to speak. And so if we're aligned at the big picture and we've reverse engineered, hey, over the next year, here's where we really want to get. Then when I actually step into the data and segmentation, that's where I start to actually align again the purpose and is the data corroborating what we're looking for and where we want to go. So that's kind of the big picture approach that I would take. And then again, the ratios that I come back to is if this is who we are, this is where we're going, and this is our target customer, why would I go and do a ton of data analysis on a customer that we wouldn't even want in the first place, right? Here's our success rate with our target customer. How are we going to get more successful with our target customer? And even with my own brand, there was a time where we were servicing a smaller business than we were really set up to succeed with. And it was a volume play. It wasn't satisfying or fulfilling. And so if I would go and optimize my business based off of working with a non-ideal client profile, it would just produce more of the same thing, which wasn't ultimately satisfying or moving us in the right direction. But once we identified these are the types of businesses that we're the most successful with, what is our success rate with that cohort of data? How can we incorporate that into our marketing and brand strategy? And now let's build and execute against that. Really feels like it set us up for success. And that's where I see businesses that take that approach really start to take strides forward. Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling? Or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four-minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. Yeah, it's amazing how many businesses are in that position of they are struggling to actually identify or pin down who their ideal target audience or ideal client is. And therefore, like you said, they're servicing many different segments and like you said, can be a volume play which is not satisfying. It doesn't actually make them feel that they're creating the impact that they'd like to create. And they sort of almost lose sight of that purpose, that core purpose. So what is the thing that you do to sort of reconnect with that purpose at all times? And how do you help your clients and the people you work with to focus on that purpose first and then to utilize that through their their marketing? Well, there's two things that come up when you ask that, Chris. The first one is, this is very normal and very healthy to go through these experiences in business and in marketing. And so the temptation will be to judge and shame yourself if you're stuck in one of these ruts right now. And I would just offer up an idea. What if you got it right every single time you did it perfectly and you always got it right with your business and your marketing? As as exciting as that sounds, we would all get bored so fast. We would all get bored so fast. And so if you're in a situation with a business where you don't feel like you have these things nailed down and dialed in, it's actually going to make the process of figuring that out and dialing it in that much sweeter because now you know what it's like to market and run a business that's not aligned with those things and which will allow you to understand and appreciate what getting those things figured out means. And so I actually think that's what makes life beautiful is the contrasting experiences 
that help us appreciate, you don't know what it's like to feel healthy until you feel unhealthy. You don't know what it's like to run a successful business until you've run an unsuccessful business. You don't know what great marketing feels like until you know what crappy marketing feels like. Yeah. And so the first thing I would offer up is give yourself grace and remember that this is part of the process that allows us to experience and understand what is that ideal customer? Well, you wouldn't even know until you experience some non-ideal customers. So give yourself a pat on the back, understand it's part of the process. It's actually what makes business and marketing fun. It's a fun game to play for those reasons. 100%. And I think when we're in that place, it's actually leans into one of our core values at Disruptive, which is gratitude. We choose to be grateful for these experiences that allow us to learn and grow and experience what life and business has to offer us. So we start every meeting with a gratitude moment where everyone just takes a couple of minutes, text someone that you're feeling grateful for today and tell them why you're feeling grateful for them. Um, tell that client that you just don't really like working with right now, one of the things you're grateful for in working with them. Because when our heart is in a state of gratitude, all of a sudden we start seeing reasons to be grateful. When our hearts are in a non-gratitude place, we see lots of reasons to not be grateful as well. So we will find ultimately what we're looking for. So that's step one is choose to be grateful for wherever you're at. If you choose gratitude, you'll see reasons to be grateful for it. And then the second piece, it's actually another one of our core values, which is win, win, win. It's an extrapolation of the win-win philosophy taught in the seven habits of highly effective people. And when we look at this to say, how do we align? How do we get ourselves moving in the right direction? Well, one, we start with gratitude. And then we take a step back and say, can we see how this will create a win for our customers, a win for our employees? And will this be a win for the business in being sustainable, profitable, and driving the impact that we're looking to drive as a business? Because if we're making marketing or business decisions that do not contribute to all three of those categories winning, it will be short-lived and it will not be sustainable. If we over-prioritize the customer and provide a horrible working experience for our employees, I promise that will not be sustainable. <laughs> if you over-prioritize uh, the employee experience and the customers are having a bad experience, that's not sustainable. If you over-prioritize the customer and the employee, but the business can't make any money or be successful, it's not sustainable either. And you know, it's interesting. I feel like we've just gone through a cycle of this that's given us the contrast. COVID happened and everyone was grateful to have a job that had a job when all the craziness was happening, which kind of gave the employer the edge, right? Yeah. And then we went through a stage where it was really hard to hire anyone. And then the employee had the edge. And so it's kind of like, we've kind of experienced the contrast of, do you like working somewhere when it feels like they own you and that they have the edge and that they see themselves as the employer as superior to you as the employee? That doesn't inspire greatness in anyone. It's actually the inverse is true as well. If the employees feel like, we'll just leave it the second things are hard and we've got all the power, it actually doesn't work very well for the business either. So I actually feel like the business cycle has allowed us to experience the contrast of maybe an imbalance in one of the favors of those three. So when I look at business, if there is proactive and intentional thought around how will this create a win for our customers, for our employees, and for the business, that is the centering exercise that I believe aligns a business to move forward in a very productive way. And just like uh, we shared earlier, tell me about an experience where a customer was loved your product or service and it really drove the impact that you're looking for. 
one of the questions that we can ask is, tell me an experience that an employee has had where they've been able to realize and live their potential. And you're proud of the impact that that's having for them as well. And let's incorporate that into the business and growth strategy that we can continue to provide those experiences as well. And that we can do so in a way that's sustainable for the business. And most businesses, when they start to adopt this mentality of customer needs to win, employee needs to win, and it needs to be sustainable for the business, the best businesses that I see play a longer game in terms of they might sacrifice a little bit of the business profits, success, growth, or whatever to make sure that those first two are trending in the right direction. Because a good business is going to have a longer time horizon to hit that win-win-win ratio where a customer and an employee might have a little shorter time horizon where they want to experience that win for them as well. But I do feel like when business leaders show up and have that win-win-win mentality, it balances the decision-making and then actually creates a strategy for the business growth. Everyone starts to feel excited and bought into. I love the frame of um, gratitude. Something I've uh, sort of dived into a bit recently more than I ever have. And actually, you're right. As soon as you start feeling grateful for things, you start to see things to be grateful for more frequently. And I like the idea of the win-win-win. There's something similar that, that we do in terms of like a ripple effect almost. We're trying to help businesses to unlock their full potential. And if we can do that at the same time, help their audience unlock their full potential and help our team unlock their full potential, it has that win-win-win side of things. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And it puts you in that position to turn down or take the right clients, the right contracts, and not from a place of you're choosing it based on those three areas, aren't you? So you're choosing on whether or not you can actually help the client, whether it's going to be good for the business, whether it's going to be good for your employees. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. So when you're working with clients, what is the process you go through from sort of the initial sort of introduction to a client to then taking them through that process to start working with you? How does your process work? As an agency, we've never actually done any sort of outbound efforts before. It's always been based on companies reaching out to us looking for our expertise and services. And so it's actually a little bit more of a screening process to see, do we truly believe that we can help you be successful? And do we feel like this will create an experience for our employees where they can show up and deliver for you? Because even if we feel like objectively we can help you succeed, but no one's excited to work with you on our team, it's like, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's just not going to. So what we're screening for are those two things. Do we legitimately feel like we can help you succeed in your business model? And then do we have people that intrinsically, they have a connection to you that they want to show up and help you be successful and believe that that's possible as well. And so our strategy and account executive team, that's what they're looking for. Help us understand your business, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Does this create a win-win-win? Does the math back up? You've heard these types of things all the time. When we have a company that comes to us and says, we're really struggling, but we want to double revenue over the next 12 months, but our marketing budget is going to stay the same. We're like, you know, there's a chance that will work, but that's not a chance we're looking to take because if you want to double your business, but not change your marketing budget, which means you're kind of looking for a silver bullet and companies that look for silver bullets are kind of always looking for silver bullets and that are the ones that kind of end up not succeeding or they have a, an enlightenment moment where they realize, okay, I'm kind of doing this to myself and I'm just recreating the same experience over. I'm ready to do it a different way, right? And so when we screen, that's the first thing that we're looking for is what are your goals? Why are those your goals? And if we feel aligned that 
those are goals that seem reasonable. The why behind it feels aligned. And there is a reasonable expectation from marketing to help accomplish those goals. That's where we're like, okay, that checks the first objective box that we're looking for. The second one, is it a brand, a product, or a service that we actually believe is doing good in the world? Or even if everything is reasonable from an expectation standpoint, is it just about making a quick buck or trying to flip this company or whatever? It's just kind of hard to feel inspired to work on those brands. And so that's, those are some of the subjective things that we're looking for is, okay, you've got a goal that seems reasonable. It seems like we can accomplish that and we have a budget to work with. But if we don't feel aligned and bought into the why behind all of that, that's tricky as well. So those are the things that we're generally screening for. And then we always do an audit of the things that they're doing so that whether we choose to engage or not, we always want to provide three insights that will help improve their business, whether we work with them or not. And we always want to provide some sort of insight about their industry, their competition, and their current marketing funnel, and an opportunity in each of those three categories, whether they work with us or not. Because we do want to add value and elevate the industry and the clients that we work with or even just have brief contact with. But that's the process that we're going through. And so if it's a good fit, and then we also find the insights that say, yeah, we can go and we feel like we have an edge on the competition. We feel like we understand how to move things forward in the industry. We feel like there's enough broken in your funnel that we can fix that's going to elevate your performance, that our cost is a no-brainer because the ROI will be there immediately. And subjectively, we're excited to work with you. That's generally when we're engaging and getting after it together. That's cool. I like that. I like that process, that qualifying process. I like the idea that every step you're trying to look to add value, but you're also looking to understand the client at the best point possible. So what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve and why they're doing the things they're doing. And you're completely right. When that purpose isn't aligned, it's really hard to get inspired about that brand or that business. It's really tough. And you will end up doing a disservice if you try and then help them from that place because you're not in the best place to do that from a service perspective. So yeah, I totally get that. So is there anything that drives you mad about your industry? <laughs> plenty, plenty. You know, one of the things that's just... Yeah, I think if I'm being honest, one of the things that can feel challenging is uh, regardless of how good of an experience you provide, whether that be internal to the employee base or to the client, there's often an attitude of, well, that was great last month, but what are you doing for me now? It can sometimes feel like it's insatiable what you're trying to help them with. Mm. And that's the part that can feel challenging at times. And I would say that's the part that definitely is, can feel the most emotionally draining when it's like, no matter how good a work we do, everything's on the line too frequently, which doesn't feel like a committed relationship. It feels kind of like a, the second something doesn't go well, we're going to try something else. You know, That's one of the things that I don't love about the industry. But I'm going to be honest with you, I also love that about the industry because that's what requires innovation. And without that, I actually think it would be easy to become complacent. And so it's a two-edged sword. So I, I kind of love to hate it. Do you think that's more to do with the mediums and the channels now that we're using for marketing as well? So kind of like the immediacy and the frequency of the marketing that we're doing now on a day-to-day -day basis is adding to that in some way? Absolutely. Especially on the paid channels that are very easily measured. And there's definitely an instant gratification mentality that just exists within humanity <laughs> right now and that we're kind of used to that. The, the challenge is the instant gratification forms of marketing will plateau far sooner 
if there isn't an underlying great brand that is built to support that, a data and measurement strategy. A lot of the things that we've talked about, if those foundational pieces aren't there, and that's where a lot of companies are struggling right now because the last couple of years, it's like just spend as much money as you can spend and there's enough discretionary spending going on that it's just kind of been working. And now everyone's being confronted with there's less discretionary spending going on. We actually have to have a good business model that provides value to our customers so that when they're having to now pick and choose what they spend their money on, not just buy all of them, that they're going to pick us. And I do feel like that's where a lot of businesses are getting surprised right now is that we actually have to have a good brand and a good product or service because this is not an and conversation for a lot of consumers or businesses. This is an or conversation. Do I spend it on this or this? And I have seen a lot of resetting of expectations already happening where everyone, including some of the largest, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world that said, oh yeah, 2021 is just going to keep happening. We're just going to keep growing the way that it's been exponential. And then everyone had reality set in in 2022 where it's like, okay, the growth curve is no longer the same. And then 2023 has kind of been the, so what can we expect moving forward from a growth or not standpoint? And then I feel like 2024 will be a little bit more back to business as usual. You actually have to have a good business to continue growing and be successful. I think it's sad as well. I find it really sad when I see a great potential for somebody to tell a really great story and they're not telling it and they're holding it back or they're maybe not being as differentiated as individuals they could be. I find that really hard sometimes. And it is potentially due to being conditioned to keep on marketing and posting, but without any thought behind it. So they're not actually telling their story or driving home that narrative and those kind of things. Is that stuff that you see sort of day to day? Absolutely. There's very few brands that have really nailed that. So thank goodness for people like yourself and that expertise in this world, because every brand needs more of that. What are your true differentiators as a brand? Very few companies actually have that figured out well. And then case studies or testimonials. I think if you can continue to highlight the combination of these three things truly does differentiate us in the market. And here are case studies of how that is applying to our customers over and over and over again. Marketing actually gets pretty simple when you have those things dialed in versus just trying a hundred things and seeing what works, but it's not coming from that foundation of the brand. That's why I love purpose as well. Come back to purpose. I love purpose because purpose is really hard to copy because it has to be authentic and it has to be real. Otherwise, it's not really a purpose. And I think that's whenever we work with a brand, unless you have that purpose that is authentic, it's not just the checkbox that they've done, but it's actually something that's authentic, like you said, that's impactful. I think that really adds then and makes it easier once you can connect with that with the people you're working with, but also once they connect with it themselves, I think it makes it easier to come up with innovative ideas and inspiration and design and all these sort of things, I think, come out of something that is like that mini mantra. Is that something that you find as well with purpose-driven marketing? Absolutely. Because what it does is it actually gives you a North Star to lean against every time you have a decision to make. And when you don't have something to lean against every time you make a decision, you're just all over the place. Yeah. And I've been there plenty of times and still am in that area and aspects of my life as well. And that's where it really is worth it to just step back and say, okay, okay, when I'm conflicted about what decision to make, what am I ultimately leaning that against to make that decision? And the purpose yes. is the perfect thing to lean that against. Yeah, definitely. 
Because otherwise, regardless of what you accomplish, it won't feel satisfying. Goals without a purpose is like empty carbs. Once you start eating those empty carbs, you just want more and more and more, but it never feels good. Yes, that's a great <laughs> analogy. So is there anybody that you've seen recently in either a client or just seen recently that has really nailed that alignment of purpose and marketing? Yeah. At a sort of to a high level. At a micro level internally, we, we've had a client that we've worked with for a few years now that uh, is a swimmer product. And their purpose is that every woman feels confident in a bathing suit. And it's Nani Swimwear. And I've always loved that purpose statement that they lean up against and how they grow their business and move things forward. Because it's a cool goal. And it's actually inspiring to just help people feel confident in who they are and what they're doing. And it's been fun to watch them grow uh, quite actually quite tremendously over the last few years and lean on a mission statement like that of what they're really about in the end. It must be really cool as well to see the ripple effect of that on the people that are actually, like you said, getting that confidence and feeling better about themselves and the impact that's having and the knock-on effect that has when someone feels confident about themselves. What does that do in their life and who does it touch in their life from feeling that way? So I think that's really cool to see that. And I think sometimes when people think of marketing and branding, they think of kind of the dark arts, but actually I think there's a lot of people who are putting in a lot of good work into into building brands that are actually impactful and help people with their lives. I think that's a really important thing to focus on. I agree. Because in the end, if you don't have that behind the brand, what are we doing? You know, like, what, yep. what are we doing? That doesn't feel like an old, again, without judgment, because you wouldn't know what it's like to appreciate a purpose-driven brand without working for something that feels very purposeless as well. So again, regardless of where you find yourself, I think we can choose to be grateful for that. And there is no training that can bring out the greatness in a marketer, like feeling inspired about the purpose they're marketing for. And that's where the genius comes from. And so if if you're a marketer that finds yourself in a situation where you're not feeling inspired, elevate the brand that you're maybe already working with to reconnect with that purpose or go find one that you feel more aligned with the purpose behind that. Because that's what makes being a marketer the best job in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Well, it's been absolutely awesome talking to you today. And uh, where can the listeners find out a little bit more about yourself, about the business and connect with you online? Yeah, I'm the most active on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out and connect personally, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Jacob Badsgard. Lots of A's, I'm easy to find. And uh, if you're interested in talking to the agency and and maybe getting some free insights about your business and and how to move your performance marketing channels forward, uh, reach out at disruptiveadvertising.com. Brilliant. I'll put the links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's been really awesome having you on. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast. And if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to continue your brand development journey, head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube. There's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast, brand building tips, deep dives, and more. So thank you for listening. And remember, keep those brands unified.